Welcome to Valuable Coaching with our guest, Nikki Sandlin. All right, welcome to Valuable Coaching. Um, tonight, we're lucky to have Coach Nikki Sandlin um, with us. Uh, we're ready to, to interview or talk to her. Um, hopefully, you guys are following us on YouTube. Uh, make sure you subscribe, hit like, um, ask us some questions on there. And um, Kevin's going to give Nikki a little bit more of an introduction so we can find out a little bit more about her. Hi, it's my pleasure to inter, uh, introduce Coach Nikki Sandlin. Coach ended up playing at uh, Marshall University where she was a marketing major. She ended up starting for that program, won all kinds of volleyball awards there. After she was done with uh, Marshall University, she went and started coaching club volleyball at St. Louis High Performance on the boys' side. She was fortunate enough to get hired at McKendree University, which is a NCAA Division II program, and she uh -huh. is the women's coach starting at 2011. She still holds that title, and she is very unique in the sense where she also is coaching the men's volleyball program at McKendree that started in 2013. So she is the full package, my friend. She coaches women's volleyball, men's volleyball, and she also does a ton of high-performance stuff in <laughs> Southern California and USA Volleyball. Coach Nikki, it is a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us. I am happy to be here, and I'm ready to get started. This is going to be awesome. All right. Well, the one thing we really like to find out from all our coaches is just how did you first get your start? I know for a lot of us, we you know volleyball wasn't necessarily the first sport on our radar. Um, mm -hmm. So how did how did you come to find volleyball and come to stick with it for such a long time? Um, and I want to say like fifth grade. My dad played volleyball, but not in college, but adult level volleyball. And of course, I was the son my parents never had. I don't think I've ever heard my dad call me Nikki in my entire life. He's called me Nick all the time. And I would tag along. And, you know, I, I, I always thought I was really athletic, but I guess in fifth grade mind, that's not true. So started playing volleyball in fifth grade. I was actually a basketball player by trade, uh, AU my whole life. Um, from what I hear from my parents, coaches, and family, I thought that I was pretty good. I could have went to the, play Division One basketball, but that was not my chosen path. And I think my junior year was when I was like, you know what? I need to make a decision. I think it could be done. Like, obviously, people are multi-sport athletes all the time. But I chose volleyball junior year of high school and stopped playing AU. I stopped doing both AU and club volleyball. And my mom actually, I, I learned actually a few months ago that my mom thought I was terrible. And I go, I visited Alabama. I was going to go to school there. Well, you weren't very good. It's fine. I'm like, that's the SEC. Come on. Like, what kind of parent are you? <laughs> but no, it, it was, of course, the right choice because here we are. Yeah. You know, um, I enjoyed it. I had fun in college or actually I didn't I hated it I, but I was a competitor ball is life and I would never trade any of those experiences of playing for a tough coach who I love to this day um he I'm a, the coach I am today because of the experiences that he pushed me to to do because his standards were so high so that's why I feel like I'm at where I'm at that's great yeah. awesome well uh Coach, obviously, had a decorated college career. When did you know that you wanted to uh, be a coach for a living? 
when I was in school, just like any other probably division one volleyball player, I never went home in the summer. So I did satellite camps. I coached club. Even when I did come home, I would coach like the local camps and I would go back to club and help out. Uh, when I graduated from grad school, I had a big girl job and I hated it. It was terrible. I was not meant for nine to five and I was fortunate enough to get fired. And that was a blessing in disguise in my first big girl job because I am the person that if I'm not passionate about it, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to give half of myself. And I moved home in 2010 when my son was born. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do, just like any other collegiate athlete. And at the time, I knew I could coach club because hometown girl and the McKendry assistant job opened in 2011. And my sister's high school head coach got the job and she knew I was of service to people because I was coaching club. I volunteered at a local NEI school here on the men's program. And she's like, come on. And then all that's kind of all she wrote. But when I look back at my time growing up, I've always wanted to coach. I was, it just felt like something that was natural because that's all I did. Granted, as a college student, you're like, oh, I'm here to make money. I'll coach this camp. I'll do whatever. But I've been coaching since I was 18. So. Yeah, I think we've kind of been finding that from all these coaches that we've been with. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're trying to choose people that we know are building good programs. And um, that definitely seems to be a common thread a little bit is that, um, our guests are people who want to want to help out youth and, and, and do that. So that's, I mean, that's great to hear. Um, what was it like to then transition to be coaching two, two college teams at one time? You know, you went from coaching just the women's team to having the men's team as well. Well, as any other division two institution, um, we're tuition driven and, you know, enrollment. So they knew I had uh, boys experience, uh, volunteering experience, and they were like, kind of no-brainer of let's start a men's program and I was like initially it was going to be club and then we're going to transition but you know I think in all of my interviews podcasts I always talk about Dan Friend and I will never stop talking about Dan Friend head coach at Lewis because I love him I consider him a friend you know I don't think he understands how I think of him as like a mentor idol person but he was the first person that says you need to just join Amoeba and just see how it goes and this is why we're here, where we're at. You know, I, the first class, we had 17 freshmen. Um, 11 of the 17 graduated from me, and I still have pretty good ties with, you know, even the ones that didn't make it through. And it's, you know, helps the program and helps the university. It's like, okay, when is, you know, Ohio State ever going to come to Lebanon, Illinois for anything? <laughs> and I hate to say it like that, but that's how it is. And that was a great business model for our athletic director and our university. Um, McHenry is 76% student athlete. So everybody you see plays some sport and that just was a natural fit. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you started obviously in 2011 with the women's, you're getting this men's program going in 2013. Do you kind of bridge those programs together and do they do a lot of like community service together? Do those programs work hand in hand or do you kind of separate them? How do you, how do you control that? Uh, they are all my children. So right now I have 43 volleyball players on campus. 
So only thing that's really separate is practices and competition. If there is an opportunity for them to do something together, they're going to do it together. Um, I don't necessarily force interaction, but there's been plenty of times where I'm like, hey, um, one of the guys has class. You want to come play in women's practice? Um, you're more than welcome because it's only going to make the women better. There was a, a couple great years with the women's program where we had the pleasure of having a couple All-Americans in the same same class. And we had um, a couple of guys play in practice. I'm like, they should never score, ever. Like, go ahead, max jump. I don't care what you're doing. Just they need to be good. And they were respectively player of the year. And the other young lady was like, two-time player of the year for their first teamer. And I'm like, those are your accolades. You playing in practice made her that way. That's why she's player of the year. So it's really seamless. We practice back to back. Um, it's not like any other program where you're like, okay, don't come in the gym because the women's practices. I'm like, just don't interrupt them. And, you know, they, it's, it's kind of funny because they'll ask what kind of mood I'm in. And it's hilarious. Like, is she good? It's all right. She's okay. It, it, they're fairly close so but it's if they're together they're together but everybody plays McKendry volleyball that's great I, I think uh you know utilizing those is, is a perfect way to like you're saying build up um you know really both programs I I remember that when I was in high school with basketball the, the girls team did that by getting some of the guys who had played basketball and um, I know in, in high school, I, I've done that with some athletes and it, it does help. Um, I think even at lower levels, it helps almost more. Some of the girls seem to really be, you know, tend to have a lot better ball control and the boys get frustrated when they're passing perfectly. And yeah, um, the girls, you know, they do get a chance to have some harder balls hit at them and some tougher serves sometimes. So um, mm -hmm. you know, that's great that you're able to mesh those two things together and really build it up. Yeah. Like to piggyback on that coach Nikki, when John Dunning at University of the Pacific was, you know, trying to really advocate for a men's program, they went to the athletic director, Ted Leland, who used to be, at, uh, you know, who ended up going to Stanford, and he's a household athletic director name, and like, look, every program that's winning a national championship on the women's side, they usually have a really good men's program, vice versa, and if you look at it, it's like Penn State, USC, yeah. UCLA, yeah. Ohio State, and that was actually the pitch that they made. Like, they're like, this is actually going to help our women's program if we have a men's volleyball team. And it's crazy. I believe only 10 women's programs have won the NCAA championship. It's not that many. And the ones that have, all a lot of them have men's programs. If you think about like correlation. it, Penn State, SC, Pacific. I mean, yeah. the program, Stanford, which I hope they don't cut their men's program now. Yeah, but like, yeah, like Texas has won it and they don't have a men's team. But when you really like start studying that, like the majority of the one have a men's team. So it's great that you guys have a men's team there. It's super beneficial and it's it's a recruiting draw. You know what I mean? Like there's uh, especially when you have women's visits, we try to coincide with coming to men's men's games. And some of them have never seen men's volleyball before. And they are just like, wow, this is this is amazing. Like I have never you know, seen that. And then they can go back to their hometowns a lot. Well, the game is growing, obviously. Um, and a lot of these, I, I think we're different at McKendry because we have a lot of young men from underserved areas. Like we have a couple kids from Minnesota, 
Colorado, you know, I'm not saying Florida's Florida's booming. So is Arizona. It's not like, okay, we do have Midwest kids. We're a Midwest school, but those States are really on the up. And we have eight Arizona guys on roster, you know, and they're crushing it, you know, and then now we have two Minnesota guys on roster. How many Minnesota volleyball players? I can think of one Anders Nelson, assistant coach, Kentucky. Awesome. But that's, one of the other few that I know that have played division one men's volleyball. So. Yeah. I, I vividly remember going to uh, JO's when it was in Kentucky. And um, when I was buying a sweatshirt, the, uh, the girl asked where I was from. I said, California. And she asked me if I needed a sweatshirt in California. So <laughs> yeah, I opened the experience where, yeah. um, you know, definitely, you know, she knew what volleyball was, but you know, I don't think knew uh, too much probably about men's volleyball and then also not too much about, um, you know, some of these other places. So it's great that it's growing and, and uh, you know, we're getting it in more places and it's great to have programs, you know, that, that have opportunities for people. Um, I, I don't know, in these interviews to me, I, I haven't followed everything as closely as Kevin has since I graduated, but um, I just feel like there's so many more opportunities now for men's volleyball um, as long as people kind of know where to look. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about continuing to try and grow the game and kind of grow it in your area? And um, what do you say to those guys who are coming from states that maybe don't have as big of programs? How are you, how are you trying to get them to maybe go back and continue to grow it in some of those other states that don't have as much? Well, I'm fortunate in the St. Louis area, boys volleyball has been around for decades, right? It's not, it's not anything different, but I live right in the middle of, I'm on St. Louis's 15 minutes. I live in Southern Illinois which, you know, you go west, you're in the city, you go east, you're in farm community. And I'm trying to think maybe 10 years ago, my high school conference added boys volleyball and it's still not the full conference. And the school that I went to is, I guess, I don't know what's considered in California, but here it's 4A. So it's, we have 2,700 students. It's one of the larger schools. But when you get from here to Chicago, the central part of the state there's no boys volleyball whatsoever. And then Chicago, and they're way ahead of what's going on in Southern Illinois. Um, but to the kids that are on the roster, um, I'll even speak of the Minnesota kids, the boys high school volleyball just got sanctioned recently, Colorado. Um, we have one young man from Colorado just got sanctioned um, a couple of years ago. The kind of kids that are in my program, you don't have to twist their arm to go and give back if that makes sense. It's just kind of the nature of the culture and they understand. And I think that's the nature of our program of, we have blue chip, blue collar, not blue chip, blue collar kids that aren't afraid to work. So the first thing, say you two are on a recruiting visit. If you're not in for the grind, you can't come here. And that's just kind of how I put it. And those kids from those areas are, understanding that if I do well, that means some other young man is going to say like, oh man, I know this person and I can do what he did. He played the Amoeba. And I tell them that all the time. That's what we, this is our eighth season. We're still fairly young as a program compared to the rest of the Amoeba. Um, you're leaving a legacy, a foundation. Like that's what this means. So of course they're going to go back to Colorado, Minnesota, Arizona and show these kids what they can do. <coughs> so 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really great. So how, I mean, I think that's awesome that you seem like you're very genuine with your recruits because, um, you know, very easy to just try and sell, you know, sell kind of the happy place to come to. No. Uh, <laughs> it's hard sometimes to sit down though and tell people like, this is what we're doing. And if you don't like it, you can get off. I, you know, I've had that talk with a couple of high schoolers before and, and middle schoolers where, you know, that that's, it can be tough. And, you know, no matter what your personality is, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing to always come out and do that. How no. do you, how do you first, you know, tell that to them? And then how do you continue to build that culture? So you, you make sure that um, both teams are really buying into this, the, the work ethic and, and kind of cultivating that culture across both teams. So when we're going back, even just to start from like the basics of the recruiting process, the best way for me is I don't believe it's a sell. You can go to any great private liberal arts school in the country, unless you want, you know, something specific, right? And if you have to choose between, you know, the Stanford's, the Harvard's, the Princeton's, I'm like, no, don't come here. Just go. You can get an Ivy League. Go, go, go there. <laughs> you know, I can't compete with that, but you're going to get a great education everywhere. But what's unique and what's special, you know, of course, I'm biased. I started this program. The kids and I, I kind of joke, you know, volleyball guys always want to talk some kind of trash. It's great. It's awesome. I love it. But I always say my kids will actually fight you. Like they are the kids that have played contact sports. They are the kids that are coming from, they have to work. They have been through something in life. Not saying everyone has, but those questions are very frank and upfront and transparent in the recruiting process. Because I think as coaches, we get lost in trying to sell ourselves and like sell these kids to come here and give them all this stuff. I'm like, the first thing I tell them, like, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about our program. And if you want to be a part of it, and you're not afraid of hard work, you, you're allowed to come here. And then they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm like, yes, this is what this means because I don't believe in areas of gray. Um, and you can ask any of our alumni and any of the kids in our program. I'm very black and white and this is my show. And I, I try to tell a lot of other like women coaches, I'm like, whatever your style is, I can tell these kids the sky is green because I say it with confidence and the sky is green in Nikki's world. And that's just how it is. Um, but I'm also not going to tell you to do something and I'm not going to do it myself. So at the beginning, the first couple of years, I was lifting with them. I was running with them, um, you know, just to show that one, I still got it for one. And then two, I was a former collegiate athlete at some point and I won a lot of games and I had a lot of success, but I was willing to sacrifice some of the things I wanted to do to be great. Um, so the, the culture itself is instilled because a lot of these guys, you know, come from those backgrounds and we try to do the best we can in the recruiting process of seeing, you know, if that speech I just gave you about you're allowed to come here if you can't, if you can work hard, that turns people off. But I'll say majority of the time, they're like, yes, I will work hard for whatever you say. And transparency wins kids over because you're not a victim. You choose your path. And as long as you know where you stand, they seem to be okay. Even though I think nowadays we're in a quitters culture of like, okay, things are hard. I'm going to quit and go to another school. I don't have people that transfer very often and if they do it's hey you guys don't have nursing and I really want to go on the nursing track or you know I'm not 
this is a lot of time commitment. I really want to focus on my studies, but once a bear cat, you're always a bear cat. You're always welcome to my gym. So we don't have retention issues. Uh, we'd rather, you know, I'll give you kind of a funny story and I hope I'm going to tell him to listen to this. Our libero and I got in an argument and it was very, very uh, boisterous argument and they all got kicked out of practice and I was pissed off. And one of our uh, grad school captains and he asked me like my thought process because you're allowed to ask your what's your opinion ask my thought I will give it to you and he's like hey I told him never do that again that's unacceptable but I am glad you explained to me where you're coming from not 30 minutes later um, I get a text from uh, a guy and he's like can we talk tomorrow and I was like, I didn't want to respond because I was pissed. I was like, I'm not talking to you. And, but at the end of the conversation, at the end of the text, it said, I still love you though. And I was like, ah, I'll tell you, I love you in like an hour. Not right now. So long story short, I told him I loved him. I did. I waited my hour. And we have a conversation the next day about how, one, that'll never happen again. Because this is, again, my show, but it was heat of the moment. And you just set an example. You're a leader on this team. You set an example of the freshman that that's okay. And he's like, oh, really? You know? And he had an opinion about what we argued about. And I'm like, I agree with you. And he's like, what? I'm like, no, I agree with you. I don't have to be right for us to be great. Because great teams, it's not this dictator just beating on the drum. I think I'm a dictator sometimes. But I'm not great without my assistants. I'm not great without the kids. I'm not great without my administrator. So I don't need to hear my voice and I don't need to be right. But there's always a way of like, if that was your opinion, we could have talked about it after practice and I still would have agreed. We hugged, we said, I love you. We do say a lot of I love yous here. And that was it. So there, if you treat these athletes like people, you get a thousand percent out of them. So long-winded, but that's my story. <laughs> well, yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think too often, even in younger sports, um, I've seen it with, you know, really young youth sports where, you know, the coach just is kind of showing up. They may be volunteering, which is noble, but, um, you know, they seem like they just want to kind of get through a practice, get through a game, hopefully win. Um, and I don't know, as a parent, it doesn't come across very genuine. And, and I know, you know, as college students, you know, parents are still, you know, somewhat involved and, and want to know that, that they're getting, you know, the right lessons. And, um, you know, you brought up kind of the quitters culture. I think that's very true right now. People want an easy path. And, um, you know, that's great that you're showing them that that's not, that's not really realistic if you want to no. succeed. No, I'm preparing you and back in the recruiting process. If your child comes to my school, you're going to leave here a better human because if you're coming here, you're already a good human. You're going to leave here a better human and you're going to learn like for you to be successful, you have to fail. You're going to fail a lot, but I'm not here to beat you down or to be the police or to like look over your shoulder. I'm going to let you mess up. I'm going to tell you that was stupid. We're going to hug and then we move on. And then you're going to leave here being a better person. So is the approach pretty much the same with the, the girls as it is with the boys or do you have to you know have a little bit different tact uh when it comes to, to talking with them or is it the same not even close they there's small differences but they get equal business 
because I would be doing them a disservice if I was let these young women into the world um, as soft, you know, and when I say soft as, you know, being a female head coach in a man's world is not very easy, but I jokingly always say, I'm like, I'm one of the boys. I'm in the boys club. Cause I am, I Christian, my assistant, I'm like, you know, I don't know if you guys watch game of Thrones and they're talking about the hand of the King. And I bought him a little King, like little pen for the hand of the King. And I'm like, no, not the queen. I am the King. I am the hand of the King. This is my show. And I would definitely be doing them. I wouldn't prepare them for the world. Cause no one's going to care that you're a female. Are you good at your job? Uh, I distinctly remember kind of yelling at him, but in between two and three, I'm like, my job is to make you a soldier entering the world when you leave here. And if you're not a soldier, I didn't do my job. I don't care. Like, obviously as a coach, we're expected to win. You're supposed to win. But my proudest moments is when I get texts saying, I use my words today and I stood up for myself, or I didn't take that from that person. Or I love that the freshmen are like, this girl in our hall is saying this to us. What do I say? I'm like, you go up to her and you tell her like, they're like, yeah. And they all get jazzed about it, but they have to be tough. And that when I say tough, that doesn't mean they can't cry. I want them to cry, but they have to be able to have enough confidence instilled in themselves to do those things that I'm asking them to. So we always say for both teams, this isn't personal, this is business. Just because that was a bad pass does not mean you're a bad person. That has nothing to do with it. So and I think that's what kind of sometimes women's volleyball gets caught in because that's what's instilled in us of like, oh my God, my coach hates me because they yelled at me today. Blah, blah, blah. No, that has nothing to do with you as a human. You, Yeah, you suck today, but that, that was okay. You still are a great person. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely found that coaching girls. That's the one main difference I see is just trying to bridge that gap of, um, you know, you don't have to necessarily talk to them a different way, but just let them know that, you know, mm -hmm. your play today is not connected to who you are as a person. Whereas boys seem to let it sometimes roll off their back. Like I suck today. I'll play better tomorrow. Well, I think maybe it's just a, a culture difference in our program. We, a lot of the younger guys and some of the older guys, they really get frustrated. And I see that a lot in like high school guys where they're like so mad and they want to say bad stuff to themselves. And I'm like, positive self-talk. You're not terrible. Like that's very bad what you're doing, you know? And I don't know if that's a generational thing right now. Cause I'm seeing that a lot more that they're so negative and I just don't understand it. That's what I've seen. I mean, I've, I've been teaching middle school for, uh, 15 years now and yeah I would say the last five to six years or so is that's when I've seen the the negative self-talk really kind of take a big uptick for whatever reason I don't know if it's social media um, I, I don't I can't put my finger on it but yeah I've definitely noticed that too and it, it's really it's kind of sad and it's off-putting when when some of these yeah. kids are so hard on themselves especially I've seen some kids that are they're really talented and they do one small thing poorly or one play and as we all know I mean volleyball matches a you know, I always try and tell them it's all, volleyball is a great game because you play yeah. one point and then it's done and you get a whole brand new, you know, start over for another point. Mm -hmm. They just lose it. And then, you know, you can't, can't succeed after that. So man, that's, that, you're doing awesome work. It's interesting too, because I think when I go to these like volleyball coaching clinics and stuff, like the million dollar question to a lot of coaches, especially because boys volleyball is booming. They're like, how do you coach? boys or girls differently and 
some coaches give very eloquent, articulate answers, and they talk about why it's so different to coach. And, and yeah. okay, you know, that's fine. And then, like, Russ Rose gets up there, and he goes, I don't, I don't teach him differently at all. <laughs> no. And, and it was kind of refreshing because that's – you gave a very just – that's you. And I've known you for a while. I'm like, yep, that's Coach Nikki, you know. And yeah. to also attest, I mean – known you for a while but you're totally right like and it's good uh, that you know who you are like when we're at jo's you know um i think anyone can enter the boys club whatever you want to call it but like you are definitely a highly respected coach you're hanging out you're talking to all the coaches you're getting some insight and then but you're also humble where you will recruit all kinds of athletes and then you'll talk to any type of club coach and you'll go and hang out and form relationships and that's the beauty of volleyball and it, it's cool. You're right. You're, you're right in there, um, you know, getting, getting after it. But, uh, you know, I wanted to pivot a little bit. So the first point I think is like sweeping the nation in uh, men's volleyball. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some heavy hitters involved in first point, you know, John Sprar, national team coach, uh, you're involved in it. I know like even people like Don Gleason's involved and in, mm-hmm. starting the program up in Damien. Can you kind of just for the viewers narrate what First Point's all about? What are you guys trying to do? You just had a documentary. Can you kind of just touch up on all that stuff? Well, right now, uh, first I'll talk about the documentary. Um, And that, I was honored for one that they wanted to follow me around and ask me questions and come on game day. And I was mic'd up. That was not a good idea. I held it together for two sets. And then after that, it was can't use any of that other stuff but um boys volleyball and like these you know when i i don't want to say underserved areas of it's a monetary thing so there's plenty plenty of athletes out here and i'm not talking about just poor athletes middle class americans black white hispanic doesn't matter they don't have access to to play right you know and you don't see clubs lowering their fees you have maybe some clubs that'll say we'll scholarship three or four athletes to play but those kids have to be like the upper echelon what can you do for us um and that's a problem and 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 like I said it's not just like okay the poor athletes but like think of myself I have two kids I'm the sole provider for those two kids my daughter Jess is now starting to play club and she's 13 she plays 13s 13s and she plays for somewhere local and it's that's still two grand. What's going to happen, you know, and that's nothing for probably what's out in California, but like I have a good living. I'm nervous about what's going to happen if she's any good. And we, she's 16, 17, 18, and we're traveling to three or four qualifiers and how am I going to do it? And that's, that's an issue. Um, and that's just one piece. And that's kind of the documentary part of it, of the underserved areas of minority athletics. And first point is trying to, for a quick version, is grow the game. Start new programs. And mainly sometimes Division One programs, because when was the last time you heard of a, you know, besides St. Francis, Brooklyn, like when is the last time you heard a Division One men's program start? You hear them getting cut, but you don't hear them like, oh, we're going to start a program at Marquette or we're going to start a program at Arizona State. Um, And they're doing a great job providing, you know, monetary funds and support for, you know, Damon and St. Francis Brooklyn. And then now the SIAC 
um, the Historically Black College Conference. And I had the privilege of speaking to some of their administrators when we were at BYU about they've never seen men's volleyball before. And then now you're at like the Mecca of volleyball at BYU and you're watching like, this is what it could be. Um, but all those things start with money. <laughs> you can't have a program without money. And that's unfortunately, you know, I'm not saying everybody's trying to save Stanford, but now us coaches are talking about first point has put together this template of like, how can you endow your program? And that's huge because we want to save our sport. And that's, you know, the five minute version of what, what that is. Well, it's cool. You're part of it. I think it's a great movement. And uh, I think it's also cool that you mentioned that you guys were at BYU when they're watching it and yeah. humble to talk about this. You guys beat BYU. So I think mm -hmm. that was really cool for the administrators. You know, you're talking about McKendree division two school, which I understand division two men's volleyball and division one, there's, there's no gap, you know, Lewis is one of the top, you guys are competing against Ohio state. Like, there's really no difference, but the fact is if you're an administrator that's new to the game and you're like, okay, McKendree's division two, they have 76% of their students that are athletes. They got coach Nikki that we're fond of and they're going and beating a national champion type of program. And that's what you did. And that's cool. And I, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I think you're probably too humble, but you obviously had probably a lot to do with others about getting that conference setting up and, Talk about changing lives and creating opportunities. What what First Point wants to do, which is amazing. So it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. they um, Larry rather he um, is a head coach now at Port Valley State, and you know I, I'm really excited. Ray Lewis is at Central State. And I know a couple of the coaches, and I'm just like, we have to get this going. And I know they're going to do a great job. But I'm like, if you need something, just it, I'm telling you right now, those first couple of years are going to suck. It's going to be terrible. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears coming and building this program. Now you're trying to convince white athletes that you're going to get a great education at a historically black college. It's going to be a culture shock. Um, you know, even it's going to be a culture shock for your black athletes. You know, uh, so it's another opportunity for volleyball, but not only is it going to change our sport, it's going to change the way a lot of people think right now. Well, that's good. I mean, I'd love to see it grow and grow into those communities. Um, I've, I've run a small club just at my middle school after school. And, you know, I know not, not all PE teachers maybe have a background in a specific sport, but do you think, at least I found this running this small club is that like in California, I couldn't, no matter how good my team was, because I didn't have a gym I was practicing in, I was just practicing outside on blacktop or grass. Mm -hmm. And because I, I didn't want to pay all these extra fees, um, I couldn't really take these players to bigger tournaments, no matter how good they were. I had to play local tournaments, which was great. We have a couple of clubs here that put on some good local tournaments. But like you're saying, these families were looking for an alternative to the $2,500, you know, local club that, you know, is being coached by, you know, there's some good coaches out there that are in college still, but I mean, I think of myself as a college uh, uh, student and athlete coaching at that time was a lot different than now. Yeah. Um, do you think people should be a little more open-minded into how they can start 
volleyball programs. I mean, I had success just, you know, playing outside and it didn't have to be beach volleyball, but um, it seems stuck in that you've got to have, you know, X, Y, and Z in order to start a club. And if you don't, sorry, you can't do it. It's, it's, it's tough because it's like one, there's two sides of people like we're doing it to the girl of the game, but it all circles back to, are we make, what am I doing it for? Are we making money or not? Not even saying making money, making a profit, you know, breaking even to give kids an opportunity. You know, I don't know many people that make serious, like seven figure cash. Like, you know, what? I'm gonna start a club, you know, whatever we have, it's come out of my pocket. We're good. Um, and that's kind of an issue. Like those kids need touches. It could be indoor out. As long as they're getting some kind of touches, they're getting touches and they're getting some kind of coaching. And I'm with you. I remember like the coach I was going to satellite camps and just regurgitating what I was taught and not forming my own philosophy. But I, I think about some of the great clubs that, you know, we recruit from that I respect my friends coach for. I'm like, there's no way for their club to continue if they lower their prices. There's no way. It's just not, it's, it's not feasible. And then not only is it not feasible, you're trying to get the best kids at your club. I don't know how it's going to be done, but it needs to change. Like I know here, HyP, they have 500 kids, if not more, but they have five or six teams per age group. There's an after-school program. There's a regional program. And some of, the, some of those regional kids, what, I've been, I was coaching with HyP for a while. Some of those regional kids went to play Division One volleyball, but they started in the regional program at 15 or 16. They're like, oh, you know, you can play on our 17 and 18s team, use 6 8 opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, but it started there. I, I think if there's more, maybe opportunities like that where it's like, hey, we do have a regional team, you have a choice. Maybe that helps. Um, a little more cost effective. The club can still have their big top teams, you know, their ones teams, twos teams. There's a lot of twos teams competing in open level. I, I, I just think there should be more opportunity. And I just don't know how we do it. Yeah. I'm also curious to get your opinion on, I've always found it surprising. I, uh, I like you and most of the coaches we've talked to started with basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I always feel like volleyball pairs so well with basketball. You can do both. And, you know, I know, like you said, there's a lot of areas and schools that don't have both sports, but I certainly had friends even in high school that I know would have been great volleyball players. They didn't do anything in the spring, but mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they didn't see it as, you know, the, the same kind of path as, as basketball. Yeah. Um, how do you think we can try and take some of those people from basketball and really um, start integrating them and uh, into to volleyball more? Well, first we have to get in some areas that they have to understand that it's not a female sport, just a sole female sport. Um, the Midwest, I won't say the Midwest, the Southern Illinois area is now really starting to break that mold. It's like, okay, do you want to play baseball, sit in the outfield, and then you hang out a little bit? Or do you want to play volleyball where it's action-packed? You just went from basketball season. You know, we have a young man, one of my grad school guys uh, played basketball, and he runs a mean slide. I know it's Sabu, but he hit like 450 on the slide. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a right layup, so. Yeah, I'm like, pretty good at it. Why not? Why not keep doing it? You know, there's a, a correlation there. Um, 
I think it's an also a push from parents because you don't know how many parents you, and maybe you've heard too of like, no, my son's gonna play baseball. Yeah, I'm gonna play volleyball with. I'm not gonna do anything. You know, multiple kids right now. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, no, my I played baseball. My son's gonna play baseball. That's what just what we're doing. And also too, club coaches, stop telling your kids to play one sport. Like I, I had a one of our starting setters a couple of years ago. He broke his wrist uh, when he after he signed, and um, his mom called upset. He was a pretty good basketball player, and he broke it in the game. And she's like, "Oh my god, you can take a scholarship." I'm like, "No, why? What? I well, I told him he shouldn't play basketball. I'm like, he's in shape, he's running, he's getting, you know, he's using different muscle groups. You could fall down the stairs right now and break your wrist." I've seen it happen. <laughs> like, I think kids get less burned out that way, but it's getting pushed from the coaches of, you know, hey, you can't do that. If it's my choice, if I say, obviously, this person, I did this, I knew I was going to play volleyball in college. I wasn't going to miss that sport. You know, I would go play a volleyball tournament during the basketball season. That's what I'm going to go do. My coach, thankfully, was, you know, okay. Um, but that's not everywhere. So we got to stop doing it, coaches. Let the kids play. Awesome. I, I uh, you know, obviously, when we talk to these coaches, they only run one program. You're the first that literally runs two. And uh, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this. Well, obviously, I, I know your assistant, you know, but what was the qualifications? What what does it take to work with you? Why do you pick, pick that assistant? And then you have to give that assistant, I'm assuming, a, a ton of autonomy because I've been, you know, over on the women's side sometimes at a tournament. I look around, I'm like, oh, there's Coach Nikki. And then two weeks later, I'll be on over on the men's side. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's Coach Nikki again. <laughs> but uh, I know also Coach Christian he's on it and what kind of duties do you give them and what do you look for for an assistant and building the culture and stuff like that um first the funny thing and christian's recruiting process uh his funny story um i don't look very friendly when i'm recruiting and i talked to x line at north central who he was his ga and i said i need an assistant i was with uh duckworth ben duckworth duck love him He's at Lindenwood now, and he was the assistant there, and I was searching. And X said, hey, I have somebody I want to talk to. And I didn't realize that he was following me around the gym as I was kind of, like, stomping my way through the courts. And I definitely was not approachable looking. <laughs> and he tapped me on the shoulder. And, of course, my demeanor, I'm like, oh, my God, hi, how are you doing, blah, blah. And, of course, the first question, and you can ask him this, the first question I asked are you in for the grind? Yeah? Okay. I don't need to know anything else. We're good. That's it. That was, <laughs> we work extremely well together because I, I think we work great because we're two similar people, but we're two different people. I'm extremely, extremely type A, obviously. <laughs> Very type A. And I'm not saying Christian's not type A. He's A-B-ish. But he has full autonomy. He tells me when I'm wrong. He gives me ideas. And that's something that I look for and people to work with is I want to be challenged 
you know, I don't know if you see like on Instagram with a guy like that's sitting down, like, you know, pineapple and pizza changed my mind. That's kind of how I, how I am as a, a coach of like, okay, you like this lineup. Let's go. And that's how the kids, I tell the kids too. Um, but obviously he respects that I'm the head coach. This is my show. You're the boss, you know, and that's great. Cause there's, I've heard a lot of horror stories from friends that have assistants that are trying to undermine them. And that sucks. Um, a person, a friend, and a coach, my number one characteristic that I look for is loyalty. And that's cut, you know, anything that I do in my life, it, you have to be loyal. And Christian is, like I said, he's the hand of the king. And I trust him to run things when I'm gone. I trust him to say what, I, what comes out of my mouth. Uh, the young athletes, I, if you ha- want to come talk to me in my office and you're nervous, Christian's the bullpen coach. He's going to tell you what I'm going to say, but in a much nicer way, much more approachable way. When you're ready for the majors, you knock on the door, you send me a text, you FaceTime me, then you're ready for the show. And this is, I've said it very nicely. And I've also yelled it at the teams. I'm like, if you want to say something, come to the show, come see me. And they're like, oh, I don't want to, don't look at her. Don't make eye contact. (laughs) So I'm real, I think I'm pretty easy to work with. I do have standards just as any other coach, but like our kids, if you're in for the grind, let's go. It's hard work. Yeah, so what we're going to do now, Coach Nikki, uh, we're going to do the rapid fire. But before I do the rapid fire, I'm sure Coach might say something, but I just wanted to say thanks for being on the show. Yeah. uh, You know, I, I, I admire you a lot, what you're doing. I think that you're growing the game in the right way. And, um, you know, I, one of my favorite stories about you, and, and we've had a luxury to talk to a ton of coaches, and I think you know me at these tournaments. Yeah. I'm kind of a social butterfly. I'll go, I'll go talk to a trash can, you know, like, so I'll talk to anyone. But, you know, one of my favorite moments with you, yeah, you've beaten Ohio State. Yeah, you've beaten BYU. Yeah, you're, you know, part of all these committees, all that good stuff. That's cool. My, one of my favorite moments is you called me about an athlete once. You said, hey, let's let's chat. And I said, yeah, let's, let's chat. And, you know, you were just like, we got to reach this athlete right now. Something's going on. And, and you, you took the time to call a coach because you thoroughly was like, I just care about this young man. Yeah. You just kept going back to that. And yeah, I get it. I I understand that you're firm and you're strict and you got to do, and you got to run your culture and you're doing it. But I also think it's so important that that's coach Sandlin too. Coach Sandlin's the type of coach it's yeah. going to take the time to call someone and say, hey, I want a second opinion on this. And then we chatted about that athlete for like 40 minutes, yeah. you know, and so that I just think if I was a parent, that would actually, the most important to me would be the education and then also, you know, who's modeling behavior for my, my son or daughter. And yeah. I just think it's so cool. So you know, we'll get to rapid fire, but Coach, you have anything else to add or Coach Sandlin before we go? I, thank you, guys. Like, I think, and again, it's not a sell or spiel. Like, the thing I end all recruiting conversations with is that we are a family. And you don't always like mom and dad. You don't always like your siblings or cousins. But at the end of the day, you love each other. And that's how I run the program. And that's the best way to put it. Because I can be firm. I can be strict. But on the other hand, like, you know, the story I told you, I still love you though. 
I'm like, he didn't have to say that, but that's our relationship. That's, I tell them I love them. And that's why they play hard because, you know, I do. A young lady, one of our seniors, she called me yesterday at like 10 o'clock. I just want to tell you I love you and I miss you. I'm like, I miss you too. And then her friend is like, I wish I didn't hate my coach. This is your, you don't know how lucky you are. And I'm like, I'm lucky that I go to bed at 930 and I will answer your phone call. But I am, a, you know, I try to make it that way. I don't want you to hate me. I'll be hard on you, but that's because I love you. So. Yeah, I would just say coming into this, you know, I, I only knew what Kevin had told me. Um, and so I didn't totally know what to expect. And I can say as a coach, I love hearing other coaches say that they want athletes playing multiple sports. Um, I think that's one way that we're going to grow the game is to, to reach out and, and show people that you can do multiple things and that yep. it is more exciting than, than some of the other sports out there potentially. Um, I love baseball, but yep. much more exciting and fast-paced if you're looking for something like that. Um, and then from the lens of, of being a dad of two boys, um, I, I love hearing people talk about how they want to challenge, um, especially young men. I mean, young, I, I love too that you're saying you want to challenge young women the exact same way, but um, I, I love the fact that you want to put them to work and tell them that it's not going to be easy and nope. uh, instill that in them. So that's, those are my two big takeaways today. I, I think that those are both just amazing uh, Thanks. aspects of what you're doing. So, um, Sweet. so rap, rapid fire now. Yeah. So okay. I'm ready. You're the first one we're doing this with, so we're gonna Okay, how long do I get? How long do I get? Just like go, 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 go? Yeah, I don't know. Kevin was saying like, I don't know, as many as three sentences. The first one I'm going to ask, though, um, it could maybe be a little longer because we haven't talked about this yet. Um, okay. Some of the coaches have touched on it, and um, I kind of looked back at a couple of them today in the short daily post that I did. But um, how has uh, COVID kind of affected your teams, and how have you – used uh, any lockdown time to still continue to grow with your teams? Uh, COVID has made the teams way more appreciative because uh, the men, their season got cut short. So they are hungry, hungry to practice, hungry to play. Also, the changing the makeup of the game right now is that a lot of programs have young men that are, have, are staying. I will have guys in the program that will be here for six years. Um, I'm happy. I had three of my – all three of my seniors came back because they wanted to finish – um, so that will change the game for the recruits coming up because some programs might not need need kids anymore. Money's tied up, um, but appreciative kids staying longer, and which I think is better for the game right now because guys peak so much later. What's your thoughts on conditioning and strength training? Strength training, you need the gains to be a good collegiate athlete. Uh, you will not come in your freshman year and play at six, eight, 160 pounds. That's not going to work. Can, the better condition you are, the more, the stronger you are, the better you're going to play, the harder you're going to compete, and you'll find yourself on the court. Awesome. So how would you describe your ideal recruit? A kid with a lot of attitude and sass. Um, very team-oriented. I don't know how that works hand-in-hand. Team-oriented, attitude, confidence, athletic. What's your favorite coaching moment? Favorite coaching moment? Oh, I have so many. Um, favorite coaching moment? Well, okay, last game of the season or the COVID season, we played Purdue Fort Wayne at Purdue Fort Wayne. We won. Um, 
a young man in the program who's going to stay here for six years. He was a problem child. And I told him he was a problem child. We had, we hashed it out. And I said, we're going to be best friends. And we are very close. He, that old player would have not listened to me when it was crunch time. And I told him, I'm like, you're going to do this uh, skill, chop line or something like that. And it was a crucial moment and he did it. And that took a lot for me because I knew where he started and where he finished. And I was like, oh, there's my boy right there. And he didn't understand that moment was special for me. And I have so many moments, but that was definitely the most recent. Yeah, that I think some of those uh, small moments as coaches are are some of the best, and and the athletes don't always necessarily understand that that's those are the moments they they see the win, you know, the scoreboard at the end or um, you know undefeated season, whatever the case might be, and that's what they get excited about. But yeah, I, that makes me think of some of my top moments. They're definitely not not to do with the scoreboard, but definitely to do with the kids. So that's. Um, I have to say, this has probably been my favorite interview. Um, mostly, I think one, because I didn't know totally what to expect coming in. And um, I just have loved some of your answers. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to put this out there. And, and uh, you know, I really want to want to have people watch this and try and pull awesome. something out for you. So thanks, morning, Coach. Yeah. Thanks. I, I was like, I was ready for more questions. I was like on the go. But this is awesome. Thanks. I had a good time. All right. Well, uh, you know, thank you everybody for watching uh, Valuable Coaching today. Again, follow us on YouTube, Instagram, um, and uh, listen to us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Anchor. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get a lot of people to, to watch you, Coach Nikki, because this has been, again, this awesome, uh, awesome interview. Make sure you also follow the Bearcats. McKendry, they post some great stuff on their Instagram and follow them. They're doing some good stuff over there. Yeah. yeah. Anything else that uh, we should look for from you or where, where we can find uh, more information about what you're doing? Um, I'm on Twitter uh, and Insta, Nicolette First of Her Name, Game of Thrones reference. And uh, I'm trying to think, what is my Twitter handle? I am Nicolette. That is, that's the Twitter handle. Come, yeah, I post quite a bit. So I love music, movies, all pop culture. So here we go. Check us out. McVolley. All right. Thank you so much. Awesome.